All right, let's, uh, let's get into this word. We're going to be in Luke, so will you stand with me for the reading of God's, God's word? We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 42. And you have it, if you have it, say amen. Anybody, if you're still waiting, say hold up. Okay, all right, a couple hold ups. So Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 42. All right, I'll start off and y'all continue. And he came out and went. And was his custom to come out of the house. And his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, uh, this is a a hard word. Um, And so I I ask you for strength. Um, I ask you to do what only you can do. I'm but a man. And uh, to change hearts, to uh, connect people to your heart is beyond my strength. But by your power and by your spirit, that is easy for you. And so, Lord, I ask you to do that work. As I bring your word, would you apply it to your people? Would you apply it to me? Would you change us into the image of your Son for your glory and for our good? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And y'all, pray for me. Um, I sprained my ankle about just over a week ago. It's still a little uncomfortable, so pray for me. Um, the sermon is about pain, and I'm feeling a little bit of it. Uh, the, the title for today, uh, for this text, is Preparing for the Pain of a Fruitful Life. Yeah. Preparing yeah. for the Pain of a Fruitful Life. You might have noticed, but my wife is pregnant. Um, we, she has about four more weeks to go, and we'll be welcoming our third baby girl into the Burke home. Amen, amen. That's good news. That is good news. And, and yes, I, I got this question a lot. Are you excited about having another girl? Yes, I am excited about having another daughter. Um, but, but to be honest with you, I did ask the Lord why. I was like, Lord, what's going on with all these girls? And uh, I don't know, I didn't, he didn't answer me, but um, I have a theory and the theory uh, comes from something that one of the residents told me here in the church planning residence. He said, he said, Pastor Nyron, you know, you were a little intimidating. And I said, really? He said, yeah. That was surprising to me. I don't think I'm intimidating. But I get, probably people who are intimidating don't think they're intimidating. But. And I, so my theory is that the reason why I have all these girls, this is my third girl now, or our third girl, is the Lord is softening me up a little bit. <laughs> he... He figured the best way to do that was to give me some pink and some lace and <laughs> some little doilies and some little doll shoes, you know, all that. So he softened me up. And I, I love my, my special ladies, my wife chief among them. I'm, I'm very grateful for them. But one of the things that happens as you have a baby is you prepare for the baby, right? Um, I had to, a couple days ago, I was out in the garage getting all the supplies that we'd boxed up and put away. 
Um, our youngest is two and a half years ago, so two and a half years old. It's been a little bit since we had a, a baby, not that long, but had to get all the stuff, wash all the clothes that we'd packed away, all the little newborn stuff, get the diapers ready. You know, a lot of preparation that goes into it. And uh, particularly for our first, um, one of the things that um, I didn't realize we had to do was not only prepare for the baby to come, but also to prepare for the pain of the labor. That that is just as important as preparing for the child, it's preparing for the labor, preparing for the pain. And for us, what that looked like, my wife chose to have a natural birth, and there's nothing wrong if you don't, that, that's fine. Uh, my wife made sure to tell me to make sure you say that. Um, <laughs> not, nothing, wrong, nothing wrong if you get the epidural, that's all right. Uh, but she chose to do a natural birth, and so part of that meant that I had to learn how to help her. I had to learn how to, different massage techniques, different things to say. She had to practice how to breathe, um, how to endure through the pain. She had to prepare for the pain, the pain of her labor. And many of us, we want God to birth things in us. We want God to birth things through us. And we prepare for those things. We get an education. We, if you're starting a business, you write a business plan. Planning a church, you've got plans. You, you gather people around. You do all these things to prepare. But very few of us prepare for the pain. And so I'm, I'm here to share with you what it looks like to prepare for the pain of a fruitful life. I'm not the first to say it, but in fact, Gardner Taylor, the dean of American preachers, he said once, he said, whom God would fill, he must first empty. Paul, in the 22nd verse of Acts chapter 14, after he and Barnabas had planted a number of churches, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. They're going back to strengthen the churches. And he said something interesting to them. I would not have considered this strengthening, but it says that when he visited them, it says he encouraged them to continue in the faith. That makes sense. But then he says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That was part of his encouraging and strengthening. To set their expectations that there would be struggle, that there would be difficulty, that there would be pain. That's depressing, you might say. I don't want to hear that. Really, you're going to preach a sermon about suffering? Yep, I am. But it's not really about suffering. Just like labor and bearing a child is not really about the pain. It's about the fruit. Suffering is an uncomfortable word for us, but... I'm here to tell you that you will suffer, and you must get ready. You must prepare for the pain of a fruitful life. That is, if you want a fruitful life. James 1 verse 2 says this. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. It doesn't even specify. It just says they're going to come, different types of them. Count it all joy. It may or may not be something to the point of your death, but you must prepare for suffering because it will come. The world is too broken for you to escape. But for the believer, and only for the believer, it is a path to fruit. And so today I want to look with you at our master to learn from Jesus what it looks like to prepare for the pain of a fruitful life, because no one suffered like Jesus, and no one prepared as well as Jesus. So I want to read you a passage that was written millennia before Christ came 
and it was a prophecy about his suffering. And so it's a little long, but I, bear with me as I read through it and just meditate and listen to these words, this description of our Lord and his life in Isaiah 53. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. This is the life of Jesus. Jesus suffered. And so we come to this passage in the 39th verse of Luke chapter 22. And to get here, we would have traveled through the first two or three chapters of Luke, where Luke announces the arrival of John the Baptist, the proclamation of the virgin birth. And going on from 3 to about chapter 9, Jesus begins his ministry, and he begins to preach in the synagogues and to heal the sick and to talk about the kingdom of God. And right around the 21st verse of chapter 9, something changes. And he begins not only to talk about the kingdom of God, but to talk about his own death. He says to his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and die and rise again on the third day. And from chapter 9 all the way up for the next 10 chapters, he's moving on his way to his death, preparing for his pain. In chapter 19, he enters Jerusalem triumphantly, and there is a great celebration, but it does not last because his suffering is coming. And so right before this verse, he has celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, his closest friends gathered around the table and so when we find him here in verse 39, he is a man on the brink of death. He knows what's coming. He knows the pain of it. It has been prophesied for thousands of years, his sorrow, his affliction, that he would be stricken. So how does he make ready? How does he prepare for the pain of his fruitful death? How does he prepare to suffer? From him we can learn what it means to prepare for the pain of a fruitful life. So look with me at verse 39. It says, And he came out 
and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Jesus had dinner and he leaves. Final moments before he's betrayed. I want to draw your attention to the few words in the middle of that, that verse where it says, as was his custom. My first point from this particular verse, that the first way, the first point in preparing for the pain of a fruitful life is that you must cultivate, you must cultivate an intimate, abiding relationship with God as Father. You must cultivate an intimate, abiding relationship with God as Father. Jesus could have done anything, gone anywhere, maybe gone and seen his mom, gathered his brothers around him. Maybe there was a place in the city that he had always wanted to go, a restaurant he always wanted to eat at. He could have done anything. He chooses to spend his final moments with his father. He had spent time with his disciples, but that was not really for him. He had been caring for them, pastoring them, leading them, preparing them for what was about to happen. But in his final moments, as he prepares for his suffering, he turns to his father. See, the thing about Jesus, what this reveals about him, is it reveals his view of the father. He needed him. He depended on him. He liked him. In times of great need, we seek those who are closest to us, and for Jesus, that was his dad. And throughout Jesus' life, you see this. All throughout his life, he wants to be around his father. His father is the center of his world, the reason for his being, the reason why he's even among the people because of his father. And I get this from Luke chapter 10 because Jesus was a, a good Jew. And in Luke chapter 10, re- records a scene where a lawyer walks up to Jesus and he asks him this. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God. What Jesus does for us is the second commandment, what he does for his neighbor. But the very center of his being, the motivation for his mission, the focus of his life was on loving his father. And so now... As he's about to die, he is centering on his father. And Jesus, don't move past this because Jesus was radical about his love for the father. He was radically centered on him. I remember when I read Luke chapter 2, verse 41 for the first time, but the scene, if you're not familiar with it, what happens in Luke chapter 2 is every year the Jews would go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. And Jesus' parents, they were observant Jews, and so they took a trip with people from their town to Jerusalem to celebrate, and they brought their kids along, and after the feast was over, his parents are going back, back to where they lived, and they're looking around, and they don't see Jesus in the crowd. So they travel a little bit, and they look again, and they still don't see him, and they realize that he's not with them. 
If you're a parent, that's one of those freak-out moments. Where's my kid? And so you can understand their concern. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they search all over the city for him for three days. And they finally find him. And here's the scene. It says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? I might have said something else. (laughs) Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Isn't that crazy? Listen to what he says next. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He is so focused on the father that in his mind, it should have been easy for them to know where he was. Because all they had to do was ask the question, where is he going to be the closest to his father? That would have been the temple. And so he is so radically centered on his father, so in love with him, so motivated by him, that he's confused that they're looking for him. You know where I am. Why were you searching? The father was the center of his world. And so now as he is about to die, he wants to be with his dad. He wants to spend some time with him. And Jesus, for Jesus, this was a way of life. It says, as was his custom. In, in verse 42 of chapter 4, it says, he departed and went away into a desolate place. And this is in the middle of his ministry. Chapter 5 says, again, he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Chapter 6, he spent the whole night talking to his father before he chose the apostles. Throughout his life, he abided in his father. And now that he's preparing to bear the fruit through his suffering, he turns again to him. What is the lesson here? You cannot have a fruitful life if you do not abide in the Father. And notice that Jesus didn't start this abiding. He didn't start this relationship on the eve of his suffering. It doesn't make sense if you are a woman about to give birth When your water breaks, is not the right time to go sign up for that birth class. You You do that ahead of time. And so Jesus, throughout his life, suspending time with his father, abiding in his father, it's a way of life for him. It is a custom. And so if you're going to make ready for bearing spiritual fruit, if you're going to prepare for the pain that comes with a fruitful life, then you must abide in the father. And I'm not saying it's wrong to start praying when something goes wrong and you begin to experience pain or difficulty. That, that's good. You should do that. What I'm saying is, don't wait till then. Cultivate that abiding relationship ahead of time. When the sun is shining and there are no clouds in the sky, abide with the Father. And when the storm comes, abide with the Father. You must cultivate a relationship of intimacy. How do you do this? Just three quick points. From Jesus' example, we can see that he did this daily, that it was a common occurrence for him to withdraw from the activity of ministry, the activity of life, and get away with his father. And so daily you must set aside the time to spend 
with the Father. It must be daily time. Second, it must be focused time. Jesus would go away so that he could not have any distractions, not have people pulling on him, not have anything else to do but to talk to his dad. And so your time must be focused. Find a, a prayer closet, a, a place where you can get away and focus on the Lord. Third, it must be prioritized time. Jesus was really busy. And the needs he was meeting were critical needs. When Jesus is ministering, people all around him are saying, my child is sick. My mother is dying. I have a disease. And yet he would pull away to get time with his father. The lesson here is that you need the Lord. You need the Father. I'll give you an example. A couple months ago, I had I have an iPhone, and it was acting funny, and I'm not used to that. Usually, iPhones are pretty reliable, and it was really buggy, and I was like, what's going on with my phone? And so I was looking at the settings and trying to figure things out, and what I realized was that the phone, for some reason, had not been syncing, and it hadn't synced for weeks. And what I realized about it, after I synced it, it started working well. And what I realized is that the phone was not designed to hold on to everything it collects. That it needs to plug into something and upload some of that stuff and get it off. God has designed you to need him. You need him. You've got to plug in to him. Offload some things. You desperately need him. And so if Jesus was perfect in every way, but yet abided in the Father. Yet at the time of his greatest difficulty, he wanted the Father. How much more you? How much more me? You cannot prepare for the pain of a fruitful life if you do not abide in the Father. And so prepare for it. Cultivate an intimate, abiding relationship with God as your Father. Keeps going in verse... 40, it says, And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. A second point in preparing for the pain of a fruitful life is that you must fight to be outwardly focused. You must fight to be outwardly focused. One of the things that happens when you're in pain is that you turn inward. There's a temptation to, to focus in on yourself, and I do it too. When I sprained my ankle, all I wanted to do was relax and not think about anything. It's natural. But it's a temptation that you must fight. And those who care for the sick can see this. My mom is a nurse, and a couple years ago she was working in a veteran's hospital, and there were a lot of men there who were on their deathbeds for various reasons. And almost to the person, they turned inwards. They became violent, bitter, one of them even assaulted her because they were consumed by their pain, focused on what was going on with them. And it's understandable, but you must fight to turn outwards. See what Jesus, is, Jesus does. He knows what's coming. He knows the pain he's about to experience. He knows that he's about to be betrayed, and yet he's caring for them. At the Last Supper, he is preparing them for what's about to happen. And here now in the garden, he's saying, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He's concerned about their spiritual state. Yeah. 
at the moment of his death. He's turning outwards. Consider even the, the Last Supper as he is giving them advice and talking to them. That he even takes the time to advise Judas. He says, what you would do, do quickly. He gives the man who will betray him advice. On the midst, on the brink of him being betrayed. And so he teaches us that we should turn outwards. When pain happens, turn outwards. When things are well, turn outwards. Care for others. It is the second key to preparing for the pain of a fruitful life. Because even the mother in labor focuses on her child. Turn outwards. Verse 41, he says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, there it is again, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Note the honesty of that prayer. The third point is that in the context of his love relationship, he is radically honest. Radically honest about how he's doing and what he wants. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And I think we can move past the emotion of that, but Luke tells us in verse 44, he says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And so I said, I think it was more like, Father! Father! Remove this from me. I don't want to do it. Father. He's crying out. Honestly. Letting God know, letting his father know that this hurts. Knowing that something is God's will doesn't make it easy to bear. Losing a child a broken marriage, yeah. chronic illness. These things hurt. Yeah. Don't pretend that they don't. Yeah. You may not know why the Lord permits them, but be honest with him. Yeah. It's okay to lament. It's okay to complain a little bit. It's okay to talk to him about how you're doing. It's okay to pray for what you want. Psalm 62, verse 8 says... Pour out your heart before him. And the image there is of a cup that's empty. That there is nothing left. That I have given him all my emotions, all my pain. I've poured it out to him. Leave nothing behind. Tell him of your disappointment, your frustration, your pain, your anger. In Lamentations 2 and verse 19, Lamentations is a great book. But it is a lament of a people in great distress. And in verse 19, there is a prayer, and it says, Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children, who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see with whom have you dealt thus. Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them 
in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. When is the last time your prayer sounded like that? Maybe you're not being honest. Jesus was radically honest about how he was doing, what was going on. In this case, he was anticipating his pain. And you may not be able to know when it's coming, but when you're in the midst of it, be honest. Be radically honest. Jesus knows what's going on. And he's radically honest. And so that third point is to be radically honest with him. And he goes on praying. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Finally, at the end of the day, if you are to prepare to live a fruitful life, you must embrace the true meaning of lordship. You must embrace the true meaning of lordship. Lordship is a big word, but very simply it means that he decides. It means that when you want a child and you're barren, he decides. It means that when your spouse or your child is gravely ill and you're pleading with the Lord to heal them, Lord, deliver, Lord, and he does not, you accept that he decides. It's a hard truth. Jesus knew why he was about to suffer, and very often we don't. We cannot understand sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, if your relationship with the Father is only real when he tells you what you want to hear, then you don't have a real relationship with him. If you can't hear, no. Then you don't really know him. Because this point around accepting his lordship is really part and parcel of the first point about him being father. Jesus is wrestling here. He's struggling He could see God as the problem. He could say, it's your fault. You're the reason why I'm about to suffer. You're the reason why my friends will betray me. You're the reason why I will die a bloody and shameful death. He doesn't do that. He still sees him as his father. And this confused me for a while, and I think having kids taught me more about this because One of the strange things about children is that even when you discipline them, and I'm I'm the dad, so I'm a disciplinarian, Um, even when you discipline them, they still run to you for comfort. I'm always struck by that, that my daughters, my wife will say, hey, daddy's coming home, you're going to get it, and they get it. (laughs) Or sometimes they just really want something and I have to disappoint them because I, I can't give it to them at that time or it's not the right time for them, and they are hurt by that. But without fail, they run to me. And as I reflected on that, I realized that the no, the disappointment, the discipline is happening in the context of a bigger relationship. That they know that I love them. That they they know even when they are disappointed, even when they are hurting, and it is my fault, they know that daddy loves them. They know that when they run to me, I will not turn them away. And so it is with our Father. You might not always understand. You might not always have a reason. But you can always trust that He loves you. You can always trust that He's for you. You can always trust that the pain is productive. That He 
cares for you. And so in the context of his relationship with his dad, Jesus can say, not my will, but yours be done. He knows his character. He trusts his father. He had to go, go through a hard time, but he had an eternity of experiencing the love of his father. And so he trusted his art and accepted his will. Do you? Do you trust the heart of your father? To prepare for the pain of a fruitful life, you have to accept his lordship. The birth of my children were painful for my wife. It was a hard thing, and being there uh, with her the whole time, my, my respect level went up because I saw the pain that she had to go through to bear our children. But without that pain, without that labor, we would not have our little girls. Apart from that pain, they would not be here. And in Christ, God does the same. That in Christ, pain can be productive. Trials can be productive. It is the way through which God will birth things in you and through you. You must prepare for the pain, but you have this promise. In the 28th verse of Romans chapter 8, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, there is no pain that you will go through that God will not turn to good. That is a great promise. The pain will come, and you must prepare. But you can know that the Lord will make it productive. But the only reason this is true, because it's not true for those who are not in Christ, the only reason this is true is because God worked through the pain of his son. Jesus would end his prayer, and he would go and he would be betrayed. The soldiers would come and they would take him. And he would be tried. He would be condemned. We talk a lot about the cross, but I think in many ways we have sanitized it. That when Jesus was going to that cross, he was alone. His friends who were in the garden with him, they abandoned him. They even denied that they knew him. He was by himself, surrounded by men who hated him. They held him down and they pressed thorns into his scalp. Your head is one of the most sensitive parts of your body and they pressed it in deep. They chained him to a post and they flogged him. They ripped his back to shreds. He was bloody and he was bleeding, he was suffering. But he was giving birth. Giving birth to you, giving birth to me. It was a bloody birth. He labored in pain. And after they flogged him, they marched him through the city streets and they condemned him. They jeered at him. They spit on him. They mocked him in his pain and in his suffering. But he was giving birth, giving birth to you and giving birth to me. And they marched him up that hill, carrying his cross, the instrument of his death. When he couldn't carry it anymore, they pushed him on. And they got to the top of that hill. They laid him down on that cross and they nailed him to it, giving birth to you and giving birth to me. In his pains of labor, he remembered his father and he prayed, Father, forgive them, 
he was still abiding in his father. In his pain of labor, he was still outward focused. He said to his mother, mother, behold your son. He was taking care of her from the cross in the midst of his pain. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his labor, he was remembering and praying to his father. He said, father, 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 why have you forsaken me? But at the end of the day, into your hand do I commit my spirit. Through his pain, Jesus showed us how to prepare. But more than that, he gave birth to us. His pain was the ultimate productive pain. John writes of this, he says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The cross was our birthplace. In his suffering, our sufferings are given purpose and meaning. In this new relationship, we find strength to live a fruitful life. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to extend an invitation to you First, to those who are suffering, but this doesn't make sense to you. Your suffering is without meaning because you don't know Christ. You don't know the Father. You've never run to him. Jesus can change all that. I invite you, and the Father invites you to come into a relationship with him. Through the death of Christ on that cross, he paid the price for our sins, the thing that keeps us from our Father. And so the invitation is there. It's open to you. If you're in that number and you want to begin a relationship with the Father and his Son, would you slip your hand into here? We would would love to talk with you about that. Me or anyone else would love to talk to you about that. Anybody here who would like to know more about that? If you are in a second group where you are a believer and you're going through a hard time or you're on the brink of going through a hard time and you're struggling, you're fighting to abide in the Father, you're fighting to to face outwards, you're fighting to be honest with Him about how you're doing, you're you're fighting to accept His will, then I ask you to come forward. I would love to pray with you and for you. Anybody here who would need prayer? Don't be ashamed.